And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our Pangea Talks Lead with Purpose series, where we grow by learning insightful perspectives from global leaders making positive impact around the world. Joining us today is Mr. Stanley Dumornay, a relationship coach with a vivacious spiritual life who believes that healthy relationships make for a happy life. Living in Montreal, Canada, Stanley graduated from the NYU Tandon School of Engineering as a mechanical engineer and also holds an MBA from HEC Montreal. Stanley has worked in organizations in New York, New Jersey, and across the developing world. Welcome, Stanley, to Lead with Purpose. Good morning, Declan. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. It's a real delight. I mean, it's uh, chilly outside, but uh, as I mentioned uh, at the top of our conversation in preparation for this talk, this is going to feel like a fireside chat. Nice and warm, lots of wisdom to be shared and life experience. You've been at your craft for over 20 years, from what I'm understanding and reading about you. You and I have been friends for some time now, with that, and we, in our personal friendship, have created some significant uh, personal uh, impact with the Vre Ero Foundation, where we've uh, set upon a path to be of good service to nurses on the front line who are fighting COVID-19 to keep us all safe, as well as we've done some work on the Million Peacemakers Foundation together, where we yes. aim to co-create a culture of peace globally. So evidently, we both share that purpose of positive impact around the world and in some ways some positive social impact and health of course i know education is important to you and stanley as you kick off 2022 i wondered what do you see uh, for your life purpose in 2022 that you think will make a big difference by december of this year that's a great question, Declan, and I think a great way to begin our conversation. As you said, purpose has such an important place in making someone's life worth living. And I think as part of pursuing a purpose is being willing to grow. And so I'm looking for 2022 to be a year of growth uh, on every level, just personal, uh, relational, organizational, and uh, one of my goals is to surround myself with the kind of individuals uh, that I can learn from, because the more you grow, the greater sense of purpose you have, and the more you can have impact and, uh, in your sphere of uh, influence. You know, the last word, I'm listening intently to what you said, the last word you said is, the word rather, sphere of impact um, or sphere of influence. And I'm curious about that. Uh, why as a leader is influence important to you? Well, you know, there are different ways a leader can lead. And from my experience, personal and, and uh, professional experience, I've been in leadership position uh, my whole life, really, uh, starting at a very young age, uh, leading uh, congregations in the third world as a missionary. And, and I've made plenty of mistakes, and I've learned from my mistakes, uh, thank God. And what I've learned is that one approach to leadership is to lead through your position, your title of authority. And, and you can, though there are some advantages to this approach, i.e. you get uh, results fairly quickly. But as I said, from my experience, I've learned that that is not the best way to approach leadership because the results are oftentimes short-lived. The best way to approach leadership is to lead through influence. 
And the way you do that is by building trust and credibility. And so the more you can communicate that credibility through your intentions, through your character, your integrity, through your capacity, then the more you can enlarge your sphere of influence. Yeah, we've, you know, in my time and, you know, that I'm connected to uh, uh, Trinity, Western, Trinity Western University's uh, Master's in Leadership program, and uh, that's really what the entire Master's program is about, is, is leadership. And influence, of course, comes up uh, through many different ways, and there's so many uh, resources and books that have been written on it. Um, I find that where we, you know, we get a lot of um, uh, inspiration when it comes to influences by being very clear on our why. And you know this fellow, you know, his name's been around uh, in different leadership circles because of his uh, highly popular TED Talk. You know this name, Simon Sinek. He talks about leading with why, if I'm quoting that correctly. Starting with the why. Starting with why, correct. Um, and I wondered about your why as it relates to your influence uh, and your leadership influence. Could you tell us about your why? Well, my why is uh, I'm a man of faith. And that started very early for me. And uh, I've had two experiences uh, that, that shaped my life and put me in the direction of faith. And uh, the major one was the uh, premature death of my mom. And so I was a teenager, lost my mom, who was an amazing individual, great provider. Mm -hmm. And that really plunged me into this existential quest about the purpose of my life and what assurance could I have about my future. And so my why is deeply connected with my faith. I believe that everyone is put on this planet by a loving creator to live an abundant life, a life that is full of impact. And so that's why I get up in the morning. I, I truly believe that I, I was created with a purpose and my, uh, the fulfillment of that purpose is going to determine my joy, my happiness and uh, the impact. And so that's my reason for waking up every morning and doing what I do. I hear joy, I hear happiness, I hear um, a very challenging part of your life that created inspiration, that compelled you. Uh, thank you for sharing that intimate detail about your, your mom passing. Uh, I, I, you know, I've been asked at times as a leader um, who I look up to. People have asked me, well, who's your role model? And you've heard that in many leadership programs. And um, the only human uh, role model that I have, perhaps related to your comment uh, or sharing earlier, the only only human role model I have in my life is is my own mother, my mom. My mom is is the closest um, human representation to the model of. I'm going to use this term, God. Some people say the universe. Some people have different names. I'm going to say God. Uh, for me, uh, my mother is the closest human representation of God I have. Uh, in my life, which is a role model. She, she's um, everything that I, I think would make the world a better place if more people were like her, including myself. My gosh, I'm not even close to being as compassionate as she is or sharing uh, of herself and uh, self-sacrificing uh, as she is. Um, putting others' uh, needs far ahead of her own. Um, 
and at the same time, uh, being able to have, hear this, so much influence in my life, you know, uh, and it has nothing to do with my mother holds, my mother holds uh, two PhDs, and, uh, and I guarantee you that it has nothing to do with her formal education as right. to why she has an influence on me. Right. She doesn't pay me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I asked that question, how is it that the person in my life that has the most influence really has almost no, none of the characteristics that the most prestigious Ivy League schools say one needs to have to have influence in a leadership position? Isn't that a fascinating consideration? That is amazing. Yeah. So I thank you a lot for allowing me to share that with you in our talk. But um, I, I also, I relate a lot of my leadership uh, learnings to family. I even relate it to my son, where my son has, uh, he's only 11 right now, but he has no university degrees. He has no power in oratory. <laughs> so he can't influence me from a point of a podium, but I would turn up and do almost anything for that kid who was 11 years old. Right. So as you think about these family influences without power, without degrees, without uh, any admirable, uh, what I would describe as publicly admirable qualities, things that the world thinks are admirable to influence us, how does, how does that factor into your process for decision-making when it comes to things that move you through your decision-making process? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your candor and sharing so openly about your mom and uh, whom I have not yet had the pleasure to meet. <laughs> That's right, you will. I'm hearing you talk about her. I'm convinced that she's uh, an amazing individual and uh, talking about your son also. And so I think all of that uh, points to the fact that essentially what we are looking for, and again, this is my perspective, right? This is my subjective uh, view. What we're looking for as individuals, um, and, and though we may give them different names, we may say education, we may say success, we may say wealth. I think what we're looking for essentially is love and respect. And the people who provide that for us get to hold that dear place in our hearts. The people who provide that unconditional love and that unconditional respect for us they speak to the intrinsic value that they know we have, that we know we have, but that everything else in the world tells us we don't have, that we have to work for, that we have to gain through education and, and professional success mm -hmm. so we can, uh, so they can recognize that value in us. And so um, how do I, uh, how do I make decision? What is my process? Well, I look at uh, when I'm presented with opportunities, I look at, uh, or, or situations or, or crisis, um, I look at a number of things. First thing is val my values. Is this consistent? Is this opportunity consistent with my values? Is this a response or reaction that I'm inclined to, to do consistent with my values? Because see, that, that's, that's a core uh, an essential core of who I am, my value system. And I'm not saying it's fixed and rigid, it doesn't change. As you grow, sometimes you, know, you, it, it, you adapt, but is it consistent with my value? Uh, secondly, is it consistent 
with my ex expertise, with my skills. <laughs> you know, I'm a relationship coach and sometimes I get presented with opportunities and yeah, it's a potential to make an income and I'd love to jump uh, and, and grab that opportunity, but is it consistent with my expertise? Is it really, can I bring value to this potential client or, or can I bring a solution to this potential situation? Um, and, the, and the last thing is, is it consistent with my objectives, my long-term goals? Is this where I want to go? Is this where I um, imagine myself being in a few years? Will this take me closer to my objectives? Mm -hmm. And so values, expertise, and my objectives. Those are three things that I use as a filter for my decision-making. Your process. And one of the filters I keep hearing uh, you've used it multiple times now is that, that, um, that important bit of wisdom that love, love never fails. Love keeps us trying when all else has failed. And I think you actually have that uh, in one of your, um, or your materials that you've written either probably even in your website. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I always look uh, and learn from leaders that are far greater than I to, to emulate those areas of their life that may, that may work in my life because uh, just because you know, you see someone that's a leader in a specific area, uh, having a specific process that make, made them successful, it doesn't mean that it will make you successful to the same degree. And as I learn, I, I learn to qualify my statements and I say to the same degree, for example, uh, I can likely do the same uh, workout reg regimen as a, an Olympian gold medal winner. <laughs> I may not have the same results. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think the same is true in leadership. I think, mm -hmm. I think business schools um, have a, a wonderful responsibility to shape the minds uh, of uh, emerging business leaders with, um, with foundational elements. But I think when we hold up these, these inspirational uh, characters, who I'll call them so, you know, characters like, uh, like, say, President Obama, uh, for example, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa is another very popular one in, in business school, like Jack Welch and uh, these other names, uh, Rockefeller, uh, David Rockefeller and Carnegie, all of these, even Sam Walton, my gosh. Right. Um, we hold them up in business schools and think, hey, everyone, here's what's possible. But the thinking person has to ask the question, how is that possible for me? Not if, but how is that possible for me? And that speaks to the process right. that you're articulating. And I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into your process, if you would welcome that conversation and, and really sure. unpack that so our, our audience can really get to see your process in application, if you wouldn't mind. And um, in this part of our conversation, you're more than welcome to share as much or as little as you want to maintain confidentiality of whatever we're about to talk about. But I'd love to learn from you about when you actually applied your, applied your process and the outcome was likely different than you anticipated. Hmm. Good question. Like an example, you're asking me about an example where I applied my process yes. and the outcome was different than I expected. Indeed. Okay. Um, 
take your time with it because I know it's uh, as business leaders, we, you know, we're usually wired to function in a, in a framework of success. Right. And, and we don't, and I think as leaders, we don't talk enough about when our, our ideas and processes may be short of the goal. Sure. And I think that displays a, a level of vulnerability for folks who are really looking on to say, okay, it wasn't all sunshine and success. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, uh, you opened a door uh, here for, uh, for, uh, for authenticity, because the fact that you have a process, as you said, does not guarantee 100% success. And again, how do you define success? So to me, success and my line of work as a relationship coach is being able to take a client from point A to point B, right? From their, mm. their starting point to their desired uh, ideal scenario. And so um, I had a client last year. Um, in my mind was an ideal client because uh they were a high net worth family and uh, paid my uh, asking fee without any questions. And um, so we started working together. And uh, as I said, an important uh, part of step in my process is value. And so as we were evolving, as the relationship was evolving, I started bringing in uh, spiritual values that I have and so one, I, I won't be specific, but one of the partners was very receptive to that. And, another, and the other partner was less receptive to that. And so my, val, my, my value system is you have to be authentic. You have to speak the truth and love. Actually, that's, that's a, a passage in the scriptures. And so as I was coaching this couple, there were some behaviors that I needed to address. Um, I could have done the route of, of you know ignoring that and and being politically correct and you know not dealing with that um hoping to keep the client happy and and continuing to get their business but if and i knew that if i really wanted to help them achieve their goal and make progress there's some hard things i needed to tell uh to say to one of the uh partners in that relationship and that's what I did. And the result was that the contract was ended. So I lost that client. And so um, was it successful? Well, in a way, you know, you could say it wasn't successful because as a relationship coach, I, I want to be able to keep working with clients and, and have that steady flow of income. But is it a sacrifice I'm willing to make to stay true to my value system and to who I am? Absolutely, absolutely. And I have no regrets about that. Not that I cannot learn, but I have to stay true to my to who I am and to my values. So I don't know if that if that answers your question, if that if that's a suitable example. I think it's a great uh, example of you uh, remaining uh, true to yourself and your values. So there's alignment. Whenever I speak to leaders, I pay very close attention to alignment. You know, mm -hmm. your actions should line up with your words. There's a, you know, there's a bit of a wisdom that I continue to, to keep close to my, my chest uh, and my mind, which is deeds, not words. Don't tell me, show me. 
And when I listen, right, I accept, and there's this other bit of wisdom, which you would have known, trust, but verify. I will listen to anyone's uh, conversation and I will welcome them and receive them and they'd have a safe space. What we are aware of though, is that um, it's the actions that make a difference. You know, the scripture, you talked about scripture, so I'd like to compliment our conversation with scripture. Scripture says, if my memory is right in quoting it, and please do correct me if I've misquoted it, that faith without works is dead. That's right. So you can have the faith and tell me it. Tell me about it. But if you didn't do anything that lines up, then um, perhaps there's a, there's an incongruency left uh, uh, dangling unaddressed. Is how I would, I would say it kindly. Um, and thank you for sharing that conversation with the with this experience. I appreciate you uh, going deep with it, and of course, full confidentiality. We won't mention any names. I did want to learn a bit more about um, that opportunity, and I call it an opportunity for this reason, because while it can be framed, the circumstance can be framed as um, you being authentic and sharing with the client uh, something that they didn't want to hear, which led to terminating the contract, I believe in my life experience as I grow that in most things, there's a duality. We can see it as positive, or we can choose choose to see it as negative. But as I emerge as a, uh, a, a leader with more life experience, more wisdom, I've learned to do uh, a 360 of situations, right? So when you talked about it, uh, that circumstance, um, you know, uh, concluding with an, uh, uh, it was, uh, they decided to terminate the contract what my mind heard was acknowledged. However, this termination of that contract freed you to continue to be your more authentic self, to live your values, then lining up with what you espoused to have you live a more authentic, happier life. Because the relationship I'm looking at here is the one with yourself. That's where my mind went. And I saw right. that positivity coming out of that situation. Right. So I want to encourage you in that way and, and say that uh, indeed that, uh, that conversation about the compensation was important, which we'll talk about uh, later in our, in our talk today. But uh, sometimes you've got to walk away from lucrative uh, transactions or business deals because they don't align with our values. And some folks may not have the same fortitude you expressed. How would you coach someone, a leader or someone in your life on a situation like that where they're faced with a challenge of a values misalignment? How would you coach them? What's the process that you would walk them through to help them make a decision that aligns with their internal compass? Well, I, I think the first step would be to identify uh, what's going on what's going on internally. Because oftentimes we behave in ways that are not consistent with our values, simply because mm. they are underlying emotions that we haven't recognized. Mm. And I know that whenever, again, I speak uh, subjectively, personally, experientially, when I've gone outside of my 
line of values, when I've misaligned, when my actions have been misaligned with my values, it's because there is underlying fear. I'm afraid. Wow. And so fear is a powerful motivator. Fear will make us uh, contradict ourselves and do things that are inconsistent with our wow. values. And so we have to be able to recognize that and say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm inclined to do this because I'm afraid. So let's, and if we go ahead and make that decision motivated by fear, it doesn't resolve the problem long-term. And so we've got to go back and after identifying that fear, we have to deal with that fear. Stanley, my goodness, what, uh, what a powerful moment for me. Fear will cause us to contradict ourselves and contradict our values. How, I know it's, a, it's, not, uh, it's not new, but it's powerful the way you've articulated it in this context for me, because I've, you know, when I think about fear, I think about, do I want to, you know, strap on a bungee cord and jump off this bridge? <laughs> so is that something that would, uh, would help me deal with my fear? Do I want to jump out of a flying aircraft with a parachute strapped to my back at uh, 10,000 feet in the air? Um, that's generally where those fear conversations, I know you, you know this uh, TV show, it was on many years ago called Fear Factor, where people would do silly things like right. shove their hands into containers of, of maggots to find you know, next step uh, um, uh, contest uh, prizes and whatnot. But I never thought about this part of it deeply, where fear would cause you to contradict your values uh wow moment for me so thank you for that i appreciate that very much yeah where else does fear show up and how does it impact our decision making from your experience i want to learn from you what what you've seen i think um fear can also show up and uh and your performance Mm -hmm. because when you perform well whether you're aware of it or not, you set the standard, you set the bar for future performance. And I think you can, fear can rob you of that excellence and your performance because you know that once you reach that level, you know what you're capable of. And so you will be forced to perform at that level. Mm. And it takes effort. It takes preparation. It takes leaving everything on the court. And you're not always feeling that way. Fear can rob you of excellence. Another one, another just pearl of wisdom, just some gold in our conversation. Fear can rob you of excellence. I've I've never heard it spoken of in that way. So thank you. I, I you're filling up my cup as we talk on this call. So thank you for that. It's really, really very powerful what we're learning here. And I think as we continue to to dialogue, I'm learning how sharing time with you uh, as a relationship coach, you know, and as you talk about um, healthy relationship make for happier lives, uh, relationships makes for a happier life. I'm hearing the wisdom that would come out in your coaching sessions and i appreciate you you sharing that with us 
And you talked about your faith coming out and the, the impact that that has had. And I shared a duality of that situation of how we can choose to look at it. I wonder where else uh, your faith shows up. Um, let's talk about, if you will, if you're open to it, let's talk about how prayer plays a part in your life as a leader making a global impact in your practice. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a key element of my, mm. my faith. And it's a daily practice. I begin my day with prayer. I end my day with prayer. And I think a lot of people would, would call it meditation. Mm. But what this says to me is that uh, people are, are coming to a full realization that uh, there is a dimension of the self that is essentially spiritual. Mm. And you cannot feed that by uh, with material things and so you you your body needs rest but that that inner part of yourself call it soul call it spirit needs rest it needs to be fed it needs to be uh reset recentered and to me that's what that's what prayer does it's a time to recenter myself it's the time to connect with uh with the almighty and uh start my day and end my day uh, but it's not just a, a personal daily practice it's something that i also practice in community praying with my with my wife praying with uh my friends praying and i know declan we've prayed at times together uh praying with people you're in conflict with before you start a difficult conversation and and so it, it's 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 just it's very it's not wishful thinking or hopeful thinking. I think it it's very practical and has very concrete uh, impact mm. uh, in people's lives. People who practice it. As we talk about prayer, I'm reminding of a reminded rather of a book that uh, was written, and I hope I'm quoting the name correctly. Richard uh, J. Foster, Celebration of Discipline. You may have come across it, but uh, this particular book talked about the rituals that allow us to get us connected to source, get us connected to the creator, uh, the universe, however you, you wish to, uh, to describe it. Whoever's listening can relate to the different uh, words. The idea is it, it, the, the connection to that other area of our lives that aren't satisfied by carnal or material things. I mean, there's only so much champagne you can have. There's only uh, so much, um, uh, you know, travel that you could have before you need rest, even from travel. Right. I know folks that live lives of, of leisure, and they have they 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 have access to the to every lifestyle you would see on TV. Is how I would describe their access. But at the end of the day inside there they feel empty they feel like they have no purpose do they really want to go to saint bart's for the thousandth time do they really want to go to the seychelles again uh and the maldives and bali i mean you hear these conversations over and over they've done it so much that I mean, the first time it was exciting it was fun second time it was oh yeah i'm familiar third time it's okay but the but the, the incremental value, 
if we, you have an MBA, you know that term, the incremental value to them from a utility or purpose perspective diminishes the more you do that same activity with right. no new experience. Right. But folks that may have access and they have means, they seek meaning uh, and, and it seems to escape them on a, on a, a temporal level. And enter the conversation around meditation and why some of the biggest movie stars and world leaders and, and entertainment stars on the planet, they pack up their suitcases and they fly off to the East. Right. To try and find meaning. Yes. They have everything, everything that the average person wants working a nine to five right now. Right. Everything they want is on the other side of temporal need and in terms of filling them up. Right. But we seem to have gotten that upside down. When you counsel your clients, when you coach them, where does that illusion of temporal satisfaction fit into the relationships that you coach generally? Well, I think it's it's a conversation. I don't think it's a it's a one time conversation, mm, indeed. right? Because what you're talking about is a paradigm shift, and we haven't arrived to the way we think through any one single action, right? It's over time. It's it's accumulative, and so in a series of conversations with my clients. What I try to do is to help them identify what is what are the most important things in your life. And it really comes down to purpose and healthy relationships. And the rest is really a uh, cherry on the top. It's, it's really, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to to travel the world, absolutely. Um, I hope uh, after our, our uh, post-pandemic era that we'll be able to travel again as much as we were before. But as you said, you can have all of that if you're missing the essentials, then it, it does not fill you up. And so as I coach my clients, we have conversations about well, what, is, what is most important um and and it's your relationships it's having that sense of purpose it's having that that connection with uh with who you are and who god created you to be and so that's that's where the conversation goes you know you talk about a sense of purpose you know the word purpose is ubiquitous i mean you can't walk into any leadership conversation without bumping it in bumping into the word purpose several times um how would you define purpose? I think purpose is, uh, I would refrain from using the word programming because that <laughs> might be too rigid. <laughs> sure. And I don't want to sure. communicate sure. that everybody is just programmed to do one thing and then that's your purpose in life. You know, bees are programmed to make honey. So I, I wouldn't, I think that would be an oversimplification as a definition. Mm -hmm. I think I think purpose is essentially a, a, a why. We were talking about Simon Sinek before. So yeah, Simon Sinek, indeed. Start with why. It's the why of your existence. Why are you living? And it's got to be bigger than yourself. It's got to be bigger than your material comfort. It's got to be bigger than simple 
full gratification of your senses. And so what is that why that is driving you? And, and how is it connected to making the world? And I know this may sound cliche, but it's true. How is it connected to making the world a better place? What does better mean to you in that context of making the world a better place? What does that mean to you? Well, I would start by saying, first of all, the world, the world, um, I define it is your environment. Mm. You don't have to take a plane to go to uh, sub-Saharan Africa to make a difference. You can mm. do that in Toronto where you live. And so the mm -hmm. world to me is your immediate environment. And what it means to make the world a better place, it, it simply means that through your actions and your attitudes and the way you treat people, the way you see, you choose to see people, because society forces you to see people a certain way. You see people based on their social status, their uh, ethnic background, their educational, uh, political uh, views. And uh, change, impacting the world, making the world a better place is first of all, uh, learning to look at people differently and learning to recognize value in every individual and learning to give what you have. The analogy that just popped into mind, sorry to interrupt, I definitely want to hear what more you have to say. Did you want to share some more or is it now? No, no, that's time? it. Now yeah. a good time to share. Thanks for that. Uh, the, the analogy that, or at least the, the, the mental picture that was painted with your words in my mind was uh, the, it, we, we can continue using the word conditioning or programming uh, interchangeably here for the, con for the purpose of this conversation. But I, I heard that we could actually change our community or our, our world by changing the way we see uh, people and interactions uh, uh, around us. And when you talked about seeing it differently, the mental image I got was me putting on a pair of, of glasses that just allowed me to see things differently. Right. And it's funny, you know, you and I could talk about this another time, but your eyes, um are just tools to receive information it's really your mind that does the interpretation of information absolutely um and that's how we manage the perception and perspective so that's a powerful tool even in relationships let's talk about relationships uh in in in, in life partner relationships people raising a family Right. If we change the way we look or reframe the way we see our life partner, that one step can significantly shift your own world. Absolutely. In terms of quality communication, in terms of happiness, in terms of uh, peace and joy in the family. Can you share with us as we listen on <laughs> intently some of the, the reframing tools that you've, you've shared with some of your clients over the years? and how it's impacted positively relationships with their life partners. would love to learn that from you. Yeah, well, I think you're right. Um, uh, I think it starts with you as an individual. If you're not happy yourself, uh, mm. you can go out there and try to fill your life with things that that's not a guarantee of happiness. So it starts with you and it extends to the people around you, uh, your, your mm -hmm. life partner, your children. And so... What I communicate to my clients as, as we go through coaching is that oftentimes we, and this is our, our, our setting 
to be self-centered, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's human to think about you first and to be, uh, to look for your self-interest. Mm -hmm. And, and a, the, the very definition of a relationship is that it involves more than one person and, and it's the ability, the capacity to stop focusing on your interest momentarily to consider the interest of other of the other person and so what i coach my my uh clients is uh three steps or three phases really one is developing better self-awareness like knowing yourself knowing your needs knowing your strengths knowing your weaknesses knowing what makes you do the things you do knowing why you think the way you think and the second phase is learning to understand the other person. Because oftentimes in relationships, we want first and foremost to be understood. So we wanna talk about our needs and who we are and, and we don't take the time to listen to the other person. And so it's a very important element of a successful relationship is that posture of seeking to understand the other person, which implies, as you know, listening. I want to listen to my wife, she's different than me, my goal shouldn't be to change her to make her more like me. Mm -hmm. So I want to understand and appreciate the uniqueness and the differences that she brings into our relationship. And then the third component is really communicating in a way that's constructive. Oftentimes, and again, this may sound cliche, but it's true. The breakdown in relationships comes through communications. It's the wrong thing being said in the wrong way at the wrong time. And so learning simple tools to communicate can make the world of a difference in a relationship. And so that's really an approach that I've seen over the last 20, 25 years that work. When you apply it, when you apply it, it does, it does work. It can radically transform a relationship in a short time. Thanks for sharing that. As I listen, I, I reflect on psychological reward mechanisms. Uh, you know, the Pavlovian uh, response with, uh, with the, the salivating dogs when they hear the bell. Um, I wondered how it is possible that in our work environments where we're compensated to listen compensated to be patient to listen to our colleagues to maintain a certain order of business environment uh i wondered if 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 we are more wired to to be compassionate and be patient in listening to our business partners because we're getting compensated to do it and and the reason it may not translate as smoothly at home in the family is that Maybe in our psychology, generally, we don't see a, an incentive to give that, to afford our partners the same patience, clear right. the same space, mm -hmm. to listen intently because this person is literally us. You know, you, know, you talked about scripture earlier. Um, you know, the two shall become one flesh. So if there ever was an incentive, not monetary, uh, to really clear space to you know meaningfully listen to your partner it's in that union of life partners but we don't do it consistently right and i wondered if there was a psychology that we could uh create where when we look at our life partners 
we automatically see them. And I think this is a choice, by the way, and I'm making this statement based on a choice. I know we all have a choice to do this. How we choose to see our partners makes all the difference in the quality of communication and, the, of course, the happiness in the relationship uh, for a happier life. And I don't know why we don't do that more often. And it's always been a curiosity of mine. It's like, you know, we're so busy. Oh, you know what? I have to go to work to get this thing right. done. Or I need to right. do this nonprofit thing. Or I need to, you know, rush and get the kids ready for this. Or it's like, how have we come to the, the, the acceptance that denying one of the most meaningful relationships in our life, how do we come to that point of denying one of the most meaningful relationships in our life, the best of ourselves. <laughs> and life gets in the way, but we'd love to hear from you on that. Right. Well, I, that's a very deep question. And, and I think um, to go back to something you said uh, mm. earlier, it's the idea of uh, reward. We are wired to pursue behaviors mm. um, that will reward us positively sure. and so when you're at work you're paid you're paid to uh behave a certain way and <laughs> so, <to> behave. <laughs> right and so obviously there is uh an, an extrinsic motivation there mm -hmm. uh, you're incentivized externally to con your condition to have a, a certain behavior uh when you come home Maybe that that reward is not there. And the other thing I would add is that in our fast-paced world today, we have been conditioned not only to seek reward, but to seek quick reward, fast mm -hmm. reward. And I believe that there is reward and having a home that is harmonious and peaceful and, and investing in your relationship with your partner. Well, what's the reward? The reward is that you want to come home. <laughs> After, <laughs> you, you don't want to feel, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're at work you're sure. nine, 10 hours a day at work. And some people are, are <laughs> eager to go home and sure. others want to stay in the office because they're not looking forward to going home. Sure. And so again, going back to the reward, if if your home is a peaceful home, if you, when you come home, you get a hero's welcome, and I don't mean this any, in any way that is condescending, indeed, but indeed. you come home and your partner is happy to see you, your children are happy to see you, it's a party, then that in itself is a reward. I think the challenge that uh, for people, for me as an individual and, and for uh, clients that I coach is, is to believe that that reality is a possibility and and not in the long long long-term future but it can happen uh they can have this turnaround mm -hmm. and I, I think that is the incentive that would motivate people to invest more and and making the the home this type of environment i'm an evidence-based guy you know this of me i need to see i need to see it I'm uh, I'm that uh, I'm the I'm the Thomas of friends in your relationship. I need to put my finger into that hole <laughs> to make sure that okay, this is real. Um, and so, with that uh, statement, I'd like to invite you to share with us so we can learn from you how you may have been able to in in client relationships that you coach create that hero's welcome. 
have you been able to guide relationships to practice that hero's welcome? Well, I think, yes. I think it's in any relationship, mm -hmm. you're motivated uh, to, let me, let me put it this way, you can create what you call a virtuous cycle meaning that if I give more into the relationship, I get more. Mm. And so um, I think spouses, putting it this way, want to give that to their partner. They want to give that hero's welcome. Mm. But oftentimes what's keeping them from doing it is that their own needs are not being met. Oh, and wow. So in my coaching, mm -hmm. I help my clients identify their partner's emotional needs. I know in my own house with my, in my relationship with my wife, the more, because I know her emotional needs, the more I meet her emotional needs, the more she's willing to meet my own emotional needs and give me that hero's welcome. And that's mm -hmm. my reality. And the clients that have been able to achieve that are the ones who have understood this principle and they've been willing to invest. So an analogy that I use is that of a bank account. Mm. And so every time I do something positive for my wife, I make a deposit into her heart, which is in which I have a, a, an account. And so every time I do something unpleasant, I make a withdrawal mm. from that account. So the more deposits you make into the account, the healthier your balance is in that account. And so Declan, as a financial uh, person, expert, how do you feel when your account is uh, in the black and mm. it's, it's, you've, you've got a very nice cushion? Well, how do you feel? Versus how do you feel where your account is close to red and mm. you're treading carefully? And you know that I may, be, I may be getting a call from the bank here or from my mm -hmm. lender at any moment, right? Two different situations. So I use this analogy uh, to apply it to the relationship at home. The psychology of what you're talking about is, is fascinating to me because as I listen deeply to the analogy of the emotional bank account, which I love the analogy, uh, it's definitely relatable, and uh, I think most people listening can can uh, definitely connect with it. As I listened to it, I applied feelings to it. For example, in those instances where the bank account, the emotional bank account, is um, is uh, very healthy and topped up fully and flowing to overabundance to abundance just like with life, your stresses and worries seem to melt away when you don't have that financial concern. Correct. And I also thought on the opposite, when you're close to, you know, the, you know, the end of the, you know, the old saying that, you know, um, <laughs> you run out of money before you run out of month like the you know the month seems just to go extend just a bit further beyond the paycheck conversation correct in those instances where there's scarcity so i'm comparing two things scarcity and abundance your mindset is different in areas of scarcity when there may be stress or anxiety and your decisions 
that you make when you're in places of scarcity are definitely counterproductive to what we're trying to build here with i.e the hero's welcome and the hero by the way the hero could also be shiro the shiro's welcome oh, that sure, for, for when exactly. you're when sure. you're and i want to make sure that uh, our audience is aware that you know we we are inclusive in our conversation our thinking totally. for both, um, both genders uh could be a hero or a shiro's welcome so in that area of scarcity we are um, uh, so the physical description i'd like to paint with words is as follows in, a, in, a, in an area of scarcity when the emotional bank account is low we are we are shrinking and, and closed and pulled into ourselves versus a, when the emotional bank account is full and there's abundance we open up and we breathe and we're more um, able to be graceful and loving and kind uh, versus the other area where we're just what about me i'm still trying to get my own needs met so you know get away from me uh, absolutely that analogy does some level of, of justice to that uh really neat emotional bank account conversation yeah and and not to beleaguer the analogy when the bank account is healthy mm. you have higher tolerance somebody wow, comes and wow, says wow. hey yeah wow. i just spent a thousand dollars well sure, okay. if you're in if you're in a state of scarcity this huge this is huge but if you're in a in a state of abundance you know it's it's you have higher tolerance when my bank account is pretty high and my mm. wife's heart i can i get i get let, let's put it this way i get away with things <laughs> but when when the bank account is really low then every little thing you do is magnified it's amplified wow. right and, and the impact is amplified and so that that's one way actually that you know that's one way i i explain it to myself and sure to illustrate it yeah i love it. <laughs> i get away with things <laughs> What a great, uh, fun way to segue. Listen, I, uh, you know, and us talking about the bank account analogy, emotional bank account, we previously talked about compensation at work and how compensation is a motivator for behavior. I wanted to talk about uh, purpose, uh, purpose leadership or leading with purpose. Sometimes uh, leaders who choose a life of purpose uh, for either social impact or or um, an ESG-led decision in their life to focus their vocation in those areas, uh, there generally is a, a difference between purpose-led work and what we would describe as your, your nine-to-five or working as a doctor or a lawyer. And maybe, maybe working as a doctor or a lawyer is your purpose, uh, whoever's right. maybe listening in that way. But generally, when we hear about nonprofit work, for example, and nonprofit work being purpose-led work because you're so inspired. Um, compensation generally is different, Absolutely. lower than other forms of compensation. So how does one, not you, because I know your practice is thriving and you're doing very, very well. Uh, how does one, based on your life experience and even your perspective, reconcile purpose-based uh, contributions, purpose-based work with, what I would describe as modest or incongruent compensation compared to other areas of work. 
Right. I think that's a great question. So first thing I'd like to say in all candor and transparency, I wouldn't say my practice is thriving. I'm <laughs> and okay. Thank you for your generosity. Okay. With, with okay. I would say I'm, I'm building it up. Um, but I think it's, it, it's, I think it's a false dichotomy in our mm. world okay. that if you're doing nonprofit work, you should be remunerated less than somebody who's leading a Fortune 500 or sure. whatever, and I think it's 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 uh, it's it's a it's an unfair trade-off that people who decide to make their life's purpose serving others uh, in the nonprofit world oftentimes have to make this concession, have to make the sacrifice that they will not be remunerated mm-hmm. according to what they're worth. And so it's something that I've had to deal with as a missionary, as a minister in my life for years, for years and years. And so I I think, how do you square that circle? I would say there's no easy way, really. Um, But I do think that your choices have to be determined by how you value yourself. And... uh, I think oftentimes people in my line of work, I'm going to speak from my experience, are highly skilled, compassionate, passionate individuals, but we tend to have a, uh, a low estimation of what we're worth, because essentially we're not doing it for the money in the first place. And so as a minister, I've never negotiated, well, maybe once, but never, and, and 25 years working as a missionary or minister, I've never negotiated a salary because in my mind, uh, I'm doing this for God, this is a service. And, and so what I've learned over the years is you have to, uh, you don't have to compromise on your needs because you are pursuing a life of purpose. And how do you evaluate your worth uh, the, the way I, I, uh, I like to think of it is not so much my worth as an individual or as a worker, but it's the worth of what I bring, the value that I bring. For instance, in my coaching, I'm very selective and I don't lower my fees because what I'm really giving in exchange, the value that I bring is a quarter of a century of experience and varied experience. And it's um, uh, tons and tons of knowledge and, 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 and uh, exposure that I'm bringing. And so I think it's important to look at what you're bringing in terms of value and base your competition on that, the worth of your value. Uh, I tell my, my board, my leadership, that if we're talking about my worth, they could never really pay me enough. Mm-hmm but let's talk about the value of what I bring and let's figure out the right uh, compensation for that. I think that's such an important dialogue to continue having because as we shift our thinking in the business community and the way we interact with our purpose-led organizations, uh, one could make the argument i know business schools do this regularly where and like i said you you hold an mba uh, so you know this conversation very well 
you know, we are able to quantify value created from a business because there's economic uh, uh, data to support the output. Um, and of course, people are compensated commensurate with the economic value that they bring to the organization and they create you know, through an eventual GDP metric. Mm -hmm. The purpose-led work generally isn't measured. And you know from your life experience in business or in any organization, if, it, if, you, don't, if you don't measure it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean in reality there's not something going on, but who's measuring it to say, hey, we started this purpose-led work in you know, 2016, and in 2022, we've had X exponential increase in these metrics. And so, indeed, we expect that uh, our work is delivering value in a meaningful way that will generally purpose-led work from my life experience has generational impact. And this ties into something you said earlier about how we're currently wired to primarily um, reward near-term results yes and the longer-term results the longer-term impact is generally not as effectively and that's the word i'll use effectively um acknowledged or enumerated or compensated in, in purpose-led work and that's something i wanted to share back with you to just comment on because mm -hmm. uh, i want to lead into the next level of our talk about uh, about uh, uh different uh, different ways you make decisions on, on, on positions that may be contrary to right. your decision making, but would love to have you comment on that. No, I think, you're I think you're yeah. absolutely right, Declan. I think that um, there are lots of uh, systems and uh, uh, tools out there to measure effectiveness when it comes to PL, when it comes to uh, sales, when it comes to the impact of marketing campaigns, but um, less so when it comes to the type of work that people do when they're uh, purpose-driven, uh, mm. either it's in a, a non-profit sector, you know, how do you measure the impact uh, on the community of the work that you're doing, you know, keeping families together, educating children in the inner cities, you know, all the uh, after-school programs, you know, uh, I think over the years uh, of late, there have been systems that are developed that have been developed and are being developed to quantify the impact. I think we just need more of those so that we can communicate and and clear measurable terms the impact that we are having uh, on on the community. And so um, I'm looking forward to the day where there is a, an abundance of those metrics and systems that uh, we can use to communicate that. So we're the change. We're the change that we're seeking. It's a, I think it's incumbent upon us, our generation who, who recognizes it, who has the life experience to start building a system uh, of, of the future. That, right. uh, the next generation, even our children and, and those who are inspired by the work that we do could come along and and benefit from the 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 change that we started to make in our generation. So uh, I would you know encourage Absolutely. you and I would embrace that. I'll pick up that mantle with you so that if we can start making the changes now, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, there's one thing that I wanted to point out, the change. Um, uh, humility. You talk about humility even on your website. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I, I read the, 
um, a book about the, the, the 12 principles of humility. And uh, I recognized quite quickly in that book, there was a term that was used called humility quotient. But the author didn't spend time. He just treated it like a notion and moved on very quickly. He didn't treat it as something uh, with more weight and uh, more impact, which I saw as having more weight and impact in my mind because right. I started doing some high-level exploration and, and the term humility quotient. You and I both know as business leaders, we've heard of um, you know the IQ, the EQ, emotional quotient, but there's no humility quotient for our leaders. And so it turns out that Harvard University, through a Harvard um, Business Review article, talks about how to strengthen and, and, and enhance one's humility as a leader because it is such a highly desirable characteristic right. in transformation, transformational servant-led companies. And so I, I share that with you because uh, I think it ties nicely into what we were talking about, about us being the change. For example, if you and I said, you know what? This humility quotient is so important, it should be part of the hiring metric. It should be part of how we compensate and reward our leaders. Right. To tie this thought to an original thought we had originally in this conversation, we talked about how compensation drives behavior. So if we want genuine humility, transformational leadership, servant leadership in our organizational leaders, we should be measuring it. So maybe at some point you and I will start working on this uh, humility quotient so that it can actually be used globally. It's a great need. It's a great need. Yeah, I appreciate that thought. You know, what else uh, I wanted to talk about just before we look to wrap up our conversation is around um, how you, you position yourself uh, as part of your purpose to really um, deal with conflict. That's what I want to explore with you. How do you position yourself to deal with conflict effectively in your world? Um, I think conflict is everywhere, mm. and that's uh, it's, it's important to acknowledge that that you cannot live a life avoiding conflict. So you've got to deal with conflict um, at a personal level, even internal conflict. Right? We uh, part of our decision making process is being able to deal with uh, different tendencies that we experience inter internally when we face a situation. You're dealing with conflict at the familial level with uh, spouse and children, conflict at work, conflict with uh, popular uh, beliefs uh, when it comes into the political realm, you know, decisions that the governments are making and all of that. And so uh, in, in my community that I lead constantly, we're dealing with conflict uh, around so many issues. The world is set up in a way to uh, create conflict between individuals, you know, because the, the, our society puts all these boundary lines along racial, uh, along uh, racial lines, ethnicity. Uh, political views, are you conservative, are you liberal, are you pro this, are you pro that, and so how do I navigate uh, conflicts, I would say personally, uh, first of all, uh, graciously, graciously, mm -hmm. um, with uh, a posture of seeking to understand. Uh, I want to understand the other side, I want to understand why they hold 
such a view and such a position. And only after I've understood, after I've listened and I've understood, can I then share my position and express my views on this, uh, on the specific conflict. And so um, it's easier said than done, I would admit that. And, and, but that's the approach I try to have in dealing with conflict. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a complex uh, conversation to have in the in the modest time that we, we have available. And I'm, I'm happy to welcome you back if you so choose to join us again for um, another conversation in our, sure, my our uh, yeah, indeed, uh, our Lead with Purpose series. I think uh, the conflict conversation is something I'd like to explore with you, uh, especially as it comes to relationships. And one of the, the areas that uh, I know that maybe I didn't hear clearly, but areas of conflict that uh, most people uh, generally don't talk about is conflict within oneself. How can we go outside of ourselves to effectively deal with conflict when we haven't resolved the conflicts within? Right. And that's something I think uh, if you're open to, we can, uh, we can definitely address on the next uh, Leadership with Purpose conversation that you and I have. Stanley, a real pleasure to have you joining us on our Pangea Talks lead with purpose series it was a delight talking with you so much wisdom so much insight and uh i'm left wanting for more so thank you stanley for joining us and uh, we hope to see you again very very soon have a tremendously successful and abundant 2022 bye-bye thank for now, you for stanley. the opportunity declan and same to you you're welcome bye-bye now <laughs>